0: man, about you, but I was blessed by that music. Aren't you glad that your name is written in heaven? It's just amazing, you know, when you think about trusting in Christ and what that does to your life and how it changes everything. So, so excited about that. We're going to be in Philippians 4. If you go ahead and turn your Bibles, we have uh, this message and one more and we'll complete our study of Philippians And a few previews into the future. As you know, December's coming, so we have a special white Christmas series for December. But there'll be three Sundays in between Christmas and the completion of this book. So uh, we're going to start a new book series in January. But for those three weeks we'll have, we're going to do a series called Miracles in Red. And it's going to be three miracles of Jesus that changed everything. So we're going to talk about, one of the miracles we'll talk about is And turning water into wine and what significance that has to your life every day. And uh, so that'll be, that'll be really exciting. I'm looking forward to that series. I wanted to, before we jump into the text, I wanted to kind of give a ministry spotlight and highlight some of the different things going on in the church. Uh, And I'll try to do that uh, frequently so you guys can be informed. But we've got about one third of our church in small groups, whether it be a Sunday school class, a ladies group, a men's group. So what we're trying to do is challenge everybody over the next few Sundays, and if you're not available Sunday morning, like I said, there's other options available, but we call them life groups, and that includes Sunday school classes, small group that meets in homes. I know we have a Monday group for ladies. We have a Saturday group, kind of co-ed that meets, and other groups, and we just want to encourage you, if you're not in a small group, if you only come on worship, you're only experiencing half of what the church has to offer. And what happens in a small group is you really get to know each other and you really learn about each other's stories and you try to hold each other in accountability and encouragement. And I'm really enjoying my small group. I I lead a life group with uh, young adults and they're full of energy and full of life. And it's really great. We get to talk about life and marriage and for those who have kids, we talk about kids and it's just really good. So I would encourage you. We have life groups for every age and stage, and we encourage you to get plugged in. So today we're going to be talking about the subject of contentment. And um, I have to tell you a little backstory of last week's message. How many of you heard last week's message on not worrying? A few simple strategies on overcoming worry. Well, right after church, um, I had a few stressful things happen. One is as I was leaving, I had a meeting, and I had a great meeting. But after the meeting, um, my car broke down. And I'm like, this is great. You know, talk about don't worry. God's got it under control. Here's five simple strategies on how to not to worry. Well, my car's broke, broke down. But thankfully, it broke down right next to the chicken shack down here. So while I was waiting on my parents to come and rescue me, I had some of the, what is it, Rocky's Hot Chicken. And that's pretty good stuff. So, you know, I was able to give thanks. And regardless of the circumstances, I'm at least broken down at a good restaurant. So I had a great meal. And uh, so also... Um, a few things happen, many of you know we have a newborn, so we have four ki- children now, all four and under, and that presents its own share of challenges. but as soon as we come home from the hospital, um, our female dog goes into season, so now the female dog and the male dog oh, if you 've ever bred dogs it's uh, it can be quite interesting. dogs howling, waking up at two a m and i 'm like these dogs are causing more issues than our children our newborn is so but I'm not worried about it. Uh, God's got it under control. <laughs> so uh, having said that, I'm uh, speaking a message on contentment. So I'm like, Lord, uh there be no challenges to my level of contentment. But today we're going to talk about contentment. And it's one of those things that the Bible says it's a secret. It's like a mystery. And it seems like it'd be pretty evident what contentment is. But it's one of those things you have to learn by evaluated experience. And I was, as I was thinking about the um, different groups of people here, um, for those of you who have small children, um, discontentment starts at a young age. And it may it look something like this in your household. You're having a, a great meal that you've worked so hard to prepare and, you know, you work to provide. And the children usually ask something about, at the end of the meal, is there going to be dessert, right? And you're like, aren't you satisfied with this great, lavish meal mom has prepared? Well, is there dessert? And let's say, for instance, it's ice cream. Okay, ice cream. Okay, let's suppose there's going to be ice cream. Well, is there going to be chocolate on top? Do you have sprinkles? Is there whipped cream? And do you have a cherry? So I see that discontentment starts at a young age, even from childhood. Um, Many of you know Pastor Chuck Swindoll in Texas he has a lot of zingers about those who are retired, and I was going to read one to you, but before I read it, he says, you know, part of it is retirement, you feel like as soon as I retire, I'm going to be laying on the beach with my soulmate, and we're going to be enjoying each other's company, and then you find yourself, you're in the doctor's office more than you're on the beach, right? And then you're like, you know, we're going to, we're going to have picnics in the park, and then you're tired, and you don't really want to go on a picnic. You know, you have all these things of what retirement you thought would be. But listen to what Chuck Swindoll says. This is, it's called How to Know You're Getting Old by Chuck Swindoll. He says, everything hurts and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. You feel like the night before and you haven't been anywhere. Can Anybody relate so far? You sit in a rocking chair and you can't get it going. Your knees buckle, but your belt won't. Dialing long distance wears you out. The little gray-haired lady helping you across the street is your wife. You sink your teeth into a stake and they stay there. I thought this was pretty amusing. You wake up in the morning and your bed has sprung a leak and you realize you don't have a water bed. When you have all the answers but there's no one who asks you the questions. And when you decide to procrastinate but you never get around to it. So I was like, wow. I, yeah, that's, that sounds very difficult. I'm hearing some amens in the audience and ouches. What about for those of you who are kind of, you know, you're, you're in the middle somewhere and you're working and it's easy to look at other people and see where they're at in their careers and say, by now, I should be a lot further than I am. I see people in my family and they've been more successful than me and here, here am I. I have perhaps have 20 years or so left. I should be a lot further. And for those who are students and singles, young adults, you ever find yourself, you're on social media and you feel like you were pretty happy until you see that your friend is at like some amazing concert or steakhouse or, you know, you think your marriage is going great but this other person, their marriage, it's like every post they have, it's like they're doing something fun together and you're like, we must be pretty boring because I look, at, I look on the news feed and everybody is highlight real sensual. And here we are watching a television show as they're fun. Anybody relate? So discontent is so easy in our world. And we're going to look at a passage in Philippians how contentment is something we have to learn. It's not natural. And I remember my parents used to try to give me this lesson growing up, and I'm, I'm slowly getting it. But I, I define contentment as being completely satisfied in God's provision, regardless of my circumstances, challenges, or the season of life I found myself in. So to be completely satisfied, and I don't have to ask anyone to raise their hand, but very few of us probably would say I'm completely satisfied with where I'm at in life. So how do we go after contentment? How do we learn it? If, if if Paul could stand for you today, I think he would ask the question: How many of you would like to be able to enjoy your life, being completely satisfied in Christ's sufficiency, and never have to worry, be anxious, never have to feel like you have needs that aren't met, but you're completely satisfied in Christ? How many of you would say I would sign up for that for the rest of my life? I think all of us would. So it begs the question: If if it's available. Why are so few of us experiencing what the Bible calls contentment? So we're going to talk about that in Philippians 4. And I've entitled this, The Secret of Contentment, because it's something in the Greek text, it implies it's a secret or a mystery that you have to learn by applied experience. So look in verse 10. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you did surely care, but you lacked opportunity. So what is Paul talking about here? Just a little quick review. Epaproditus has given Paul a gift from the church at Philippi. And it's been perhaps up to 10 years since he has last seen them, according to some scholars. And they had been so generous to Paul, but somewhere along the way they had stopped giving to him. And all of a sudden it says they started giving again. In verse 11 he says, not that I speak in regard to need... For I have learned, notice I have learned, in whatever state I am to be content. Look at the next verse. He says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned, and if you have some translation it says learn the secret, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And in verse 13 is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. We see it written on football players, Phil 413. We see it on signs. And let's, let's all say it together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let us pray. Father, as we delve into the mystery of contentment, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that out of this that we would walk away learning the secret of how to be satisfied in Christ's sufficiency. So Father, as we look into your word, we pray your blessing will be upon it and we give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today I want to talk to you about four of the best kept secrets about contentment. If you have your listening guides and your bulletin you can follow. And the first one is this. My source of contentment is found solely in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Many of you have sang or read some of the many hymns of Fanny Crosby. In fact, she penned around 6,000 hymns in her lifetime. Can you believe that? 6,000. And it's so sad when you read her life story. About six weeks old, the doctor put some drops in her eyes that were really too strong for her eyes at that, that time in her life. And she went blind at the age of six. So she wasn't born blind, but she was blind because of someone's mistake. And she, she began to learn how to deal with this and People who knew her and had a relationship with her said one thing that surprised them, she never grew bitter about her blindness. In fact, one minister was trying to encourage her, and he said, I just find it so hard to understand as a pastor how God endowed you with so many gifts. I mean, you're such a prolific hymn writer. Um, You just have such an amazing heart. And yet you were blind that you couldn't fully experience God's goodness and what he was doing. And he said, I just, I just find it so hard to understand, but I know God's got to have a greater purpose. And he was trying to encourage her. And he said, well, you know what? If I could have one request at my birth, it would be this, that I would be born blind. And he's like, so what? Why would you say something like that? And she said, because when I get to heaven, the first eyes, I will, the first face I will lay my eyes on is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was just like, wow, she would wish to be born blind. So the first face she could ever remember, because six weeks you don't remember anything, would be Jesus Christ himself. And in her life, um, it's said that D.L. Moody asked her to give a testimony, and I want to read you some words that she wrote, that it was in an audience, and as she read this, this, this was a secret hymn that she didn't publish, but it was her personal testimony. She called it her soul's poem. She says, Someday, when the silver cord will break, and I no more shall sing. Oh, the joy that I shall wake within the palace of the king. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. And at the age of 95, Francis Crosby went to see Jesus face to face. Now, when you see Paul's secret of contentment, look look back in verse 10. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care has flourished again. Though you did surely care, you lacked the opportunity. So here we have Paul. His circumstances aren't the best. He finds himself in a Roman prison. He's chained to Roman guards. And his ministry has been one crazy roller coaster after another. And he found that his sole source of identity was in Christ. It wasn't in his circumstances, it wasn't where he was at. So think about it. if someone chained in prison can find contentment, why the rest of us can't find it? why do we struggle i want you to read, i want um, you to turn in your bibles this is a parallel passage second corinthians 10 22 through 20, 29 so second corinthians 10 for those of you who think well you know paul's in prison that's not too bad i want you to hear his testimony of how he was content regardless of the circumstances second corinthians 10 we'll start in verse 23 this is a little bit of his autobiography He says, are they servants of Christ? And I sound like a madman. I have served far more. He's trying to authenticate his apostleship. He says, I have worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Doesn't sound like someone content, does it? But he, he was. He says, three times I was beaten. Excuse me. Three times it says I was beaten with rods. It says, five times the Jewish leader stoned me, 39 lashes. Now, the idea was if you were whipped 40 times, you would die with a cat of nine tails. He said, five times I was at death's door. Can you imagine being beaten that many times? Five different times, 39 lashes. Stoned, he says, once I was stoned. And what happened with stoning someone, they would dig a pit typically, and they wouldn't throw little pebbles. They would throw big rocks on you to try to kill you. So somehow Paul escaped that. And uh, read on, he says, I was shipwrecked three times. At that point, I would stop getting on a boat, wouldn't you? Like, if, if your plane crashed, I'd like, imagine surviving three shipwrecks. He said he spent a whole day adrift at sea. He goes on to say about the long journeys, the rivers and the robbers and uh, false brethren trying to persecute him. Skip down to verse 28. Beside this, I have the daily burden of all my concern for all the churches. So here you have Paul, who his whole life in ministry, it was no easy road, and yet he said, I've, I have know how to abase, I know how to be abound. What Paul saw that sometimes we lack, the perspective is God's providence. It's a word we don't often use today in our vocabulary, but providence, the word we use in English comes from a Latin word, and it comes from two words, pro and video. Pro meaning before, and video meaning to see. So providence means that God sees beforehand and he takes care of the details. So how Paul was able to say, I'm content no matter what my circumstances, no matter what's going on, he's saying, I can do this because I realize God sees in advance what you're going through. Aren't you glad knowing that what happens tomorrow and the next day and the next month and the next year, God already sees beforehand? And as you place your trust in him as his child, He sees in advance, and both in the good and the bad, he's working all things out. So if you go to the doctor next year and they give you a bad report, did God already know that was going to happen? Absolutely. Can God work it out? He will. He works out all things, the Bible says. So look at that that word in there. It says flourished again. It says your care has flourished again. Paul here uses a horticultural term, and it's the idea of a plant sprouting again or budding again. And what he was saying to the church was, you know, you're concerned for me. You realize I'm in prison. And he's like, I'm so thankful for your generosity. Before you wanted to do something, but you didn't have the opportunity. But now it's sprouted again. It's the picture of a rose coming into full blossom. And what he's saying is no matter what happened to me, I realize that God's going to have different people that will open their hearts to me. That will, he will cause things to, to blossom and to bud. And he says, though you lack the opportunity, but now you're, you're coming to my aid. I was reading about Warren Wearsby. He said, many Christians today have the opportunities, but they lack the concern. And the church at Philippi, they had the concern, but didn't have the opportunity. But now they were sending Paul a gift. And Paul was saying, listen, I, I really appreciate your gift. But one thing I want you to know... Regardless of a gift or no gift, I find my sole source of contentment in Christ. So the best kept secret is you've got to find your source of contentment solely in your relationship with Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. A lot of times our problem is we fill that nothing with something. It's Jesus plus a nice car. Jesus plus a nice house. And those things are great, but we can't fill in where God's role is. We have to find our soul identity, not in the stuff we have, not in the circumstances, but in Christ alone. So one of the, the secrets to contentment is where am I finding my identity in? Where am I finding my significance and my satisfaction? Is it in Christ alone? Look, look to the next verse. It's best kept secret number two is contentment is something that you have to learn. It doesn't come naturally. Look at verse 11. He says, Not that I speak in regard to need, in other words, you know, I appreciate your gift, but I'm not needy. But he says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. That's really hard to do, isn't it? Whatever state, if you're in good health or in poor health, if you're in jail or if you're free, wherever I'm at, I've learned the secret on how to be content. I was reading a story by Marion Doolan. Um, she had this situation where two children came to her house. And these were children that would go door to door collecting new, old newspapers to try to make a little money. So they knocked on her door, and she was busy doing her household budget. She didn't really want to mess, but she's like, you know, I'm going to help these kids out. So she invited them in, and these kids were very poorly clothed. They had such thin sandals. And uh, while she was getting ready to get some newspaper, she decided, you guys have a seat by the fire. I want to make you a cup of hot cocoa, and I'm going to make you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, so... While while they were sitting by the fire, warming themselves from the cold, she made them the hot cocoa and the sandwich, and the boy and the girl were sitting there, and quiet, filled the air, no one said a thing, and all of a sudden, the little girl said, lady, are you rich? And she's like, no, why would you say that? And she says, well, your cup matches your saucer. They were blue, they're like, they match, so you must be rich, and she's like, no, I'm not rich, and... um They they, they left after they got the newspapers and had their PB&J and their hot chocolate. And as they left, she thought about it and said, you know what, I am rich. I've got cups that match. I've got a husband that has a job. Um, I've got a house. I'm here stirring these mashed potatoes and I have this gravy on the stove. And I'm able to even have a budget. And as she looked over the fireplace where there were footprints where the kids had been, And there was mud. And she said, I'm going to leave those footprints there to remind me that I am rich. Contentment is not having what you want. It's wanting what you already have. Now think about that. Contentment is not getting what you want or having what you want. It's wanting what you already have. And that's that's one of the secrets we see here. Paul says, whatever state I am in, I've learned how to be content. The word contentment literally means self-satisfied. Now, I've got to give you a little culture here because there was, um, in this day, there were people called Stoics. Many of you have heard someone has a Stoic look. What does that usually mean? They're non-emotional. Well, Stoics thought contentment or being self-satisfied was being non-emotional. No matter what you do to me, it's not going to affect me emotionally. So they had the Stoic face. If you ever heard the saying, that person looks Stoic, it goes back to the Stoic philosophers who thought contentment, being self-satisfied, was Life doesn't affect me at all. I'm, I'm not emotionally involved. And there was another group, the Greeks. They, they, they thought contentment, being self-satisfied, having satisfaction of life was no matter what happens, you look within. You have the resources within and you've got to be self-contained. No one can do it. You've got to do it for yourself. Does that not sound like a lot of New Age philosophy? Look within. That was the Greek philosophy. But for Paul... He taught a very simple truth. Satisfaction comes from Christ's sufficiency. I am sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. So, in other words, contentment's like this. It's there, being satisfied. God wants you to experience this satisfaction in life. Contentment is what it means, satisfaction. But it doesn't come from external things, it doesn't come from being emotionally detached. It becomes finding your sole source of identity in jesus christ where we get discontent is where we get distracted and where we look at other stuff i'll give you an example from my own life we're we're in church so can i be honest here well i have a cell phone that's uh about two years old and recently um, i brought it out and it fell on the ground and the screen didn't shatter but it's got the squiggly lines all across the screen and all of a sudden i'll be watching tv and i'll see the commercial for the new iphone 7 you know it's water resistant and the Plus has the dual camera. And I look at my phone that's messed up, not working around. I see the commercial and I'm like, man, wouldn't it be nice to have one of those new iPhone 7s? I look at my phone, the squiggly lines, and I look at that and I'm just like, I become discontent. Um, how many of you are infomercial junkies? Anybody, be honest. You got you got the certain, every time the new thing comes out, how many of you own a Snuggie? Anybody? Don't raise your, oh, whatever. All right, all right. So think about the Snuggie's. My whole family, we're sitting around, not really, but you know, we're sitting around this snuggie, and we're comfortable, and it's nice. Do we really need it? Not, not necessarily, but it makes us feel good, right? And then you see the next, I mean, the whole world is built upon discontentment. Advertisement is trying to fill your discontentment. So um, what was the other one? How many of you uh, own a George Foreman grill or bought one in your lifetime? George Foreman. I mean, it's like the advertisement is if you need to lose a little weight, you just pop it in this George Foreman grill, and its I think it's probably like a billion dollars, and I can't remember how many sales per year, every year the George Foreman grill. And if I eat this, the grease drains, and I may lose a little weight, the whole marketing system is based upon, I don't really have what I need. So when Paul says learn, now the interesting thing in the Greek, it means learn by evaluated experience. In other words, this is not something that comes natural. It's something that you have to experience and you have to evaluate. The young adult class, we're talking about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And how many of you know just because you're older doesn't mean you're wise? But if you evaluate your experience, that's when you can learn from it. Just because you have experience doesn't make you wise. In the same way, just because you went through life doesn't mean you've learned how to be content. In fact, it, sometimes it seems like the more you have, the more you want. The more you feed your appetite, the less content you have. Have you ever noticed, Just let's just say your friends, you're not in the situation, but have you ever noticed your friends that tend to have more are less content than the people that don't have as much? you ever wonder why? Because the more you have, sometimes the more you want. There's nothing wrong with having stuff as long as your stuff doesn't have you. And we're going to talk about that in a moment, but... Pulses I've learned, and uh, for those of you guys who have checked out with the philosophy of contentment, I want you to check back in. Think about sports. Many of you gentlemen and some of you ladies are going to watch an NFL game when you get home. Do you think that they? Do you think that? Um, who's your favorite quarterback? Anybody? Aaron Rodgers? Anybody? All right, nobody. Um, Romo's injured. Well, think about your favorite quarterback. Do you think he learned how to do that by reading a book on how to be a quarterback? Do you think that he did it by simply watching film? Absolutely not. He learned it by experience, evaluate experience over and over and over again until you get the secret. And that's what Paul's saying about contentment. Being satisfied in life doesn't come just from going through life, but it comes from realizing, you know what? What I'm going through, my life is in God's hands. And no matter what happens to me, it's not what happens to me, it's what happens in me. And if I am in Christ, I need to learn how to be completely sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. So that's really tough when you think about it. But Paul realized that his identity was not in his situations, but it was in a Savior. So the first best kept secret is your source of contentment. It sounds solely in your relationship with Jesus Christ. The second one is it's something that you have to learn. It doesn't come naturally. And the third best kept secret of contentment is it's it's finding your sense of significance and who you are in Christ. Notice Paul says, "I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and hungry." And he says, "I've learned how to abound and to suffer need." So what Paul's saying is this: You know what? In life, I've had good times and I've had difficult times. Many of us know how to, know how to be abased, but when we're successful, do we know how to deal with that? Do we know how to abound? And the idea would be like this. How many of you have ever ate ramen noodle before? All right, some of you are rolling your eyes. Well, when you're not doing very well financially, ramen noodle is something that's available, right? All college students know about ramen noodle. But this other picture is a picture from Ruth Chris, and it's a filet mignon. Making me hungry just looking at the picture. But the idea is this. I know how to abound. I know how to be a base. So in hard times, if I have to live on ramen noodle, I'm thanking God for that ramen noodle. And in good times, if God provides the Ruth Chris, I'm thanking God for the Ruth Chris. I know how to abound. I know how to be a base. And so many times in life, we don't know how to operate in different ways. And it's been said that success sometimes is the hardest for the Christian to deal with. If God blesses you financially. That's a great thing, but do you know how to do it? Do you know how to deal with it? Do you know how to have open hands and say, I I know what it's like to have little. I know what it's like to have a lot. And I realize that everything, all of my sufficiency, doesn't come in my stuff or the lack thereof. All of my sufficiency, all of my satisfaction comes in Christ. That's really hard to get to that point. But Paul says it's something you have to learn. Many of you have heard of R.C. Sproul, the, the famous pastor, and writer. He says uh, one of his students uh, had a cerebral palsy, and this student was just a very bright, very academically bright, but um, he could walk, but every time he walked, he would, he would he could barely walk. And every time he talked, he talked very slurred, and it, it took a long time to really understand what he was saying. And uh, he came to R.C. Sproul one day and had just a troubling concern and said, Brother Sproul, I'm just really struggling and I need you to help me. And uh, R.C. said, sure, let's pray about it. And he prayed just a simple prayer. And he said, God, help this man and what he's dealing through. Help this man make it through. Show him your grace. Just a simple prayer. And as uh, Pastor Sproul opened his eyes, the, the young man was crying. And he said, why are you crying? And he said, no one has ever called me a man before. And it just touched him that R.C. called him a man. And he part of that, he realized who he was his identity and if you realize who you are in christ it doesn't matter what you're going through it doesn't matter if the circumstances are favorable or not favorable in paul's case he's in prison he's chained up i mean paul could easily be asking god why have you given me all these gifts and abilities to preach to write to evangelize and here i am confined to prison but do you ever think about it like this if paul was never in prison you think we'd have his prison epistles I mean, think about it. He could have preached and been out there a lot, but Paul was so busy that being in prison forced him to slow down a little bit. And out of that came some of the greatest writings that we read today. So sometimes when adversity strikes, God is sometimes trying to get your attention and saying, I'm using you in a way that you may not like it, but I'm going to use it in a way that will help you out. Amen? Amen. So significance is not circumstantial, but it's relational. It's based upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's never found in your stuff, whether you have little or much. Psalm 37.4 is a beautiful verse that says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. That's really the essence of contentment. That when I, my self-satisfaction, my satisfaction out of life comes in delighting in God, is God ever going to let you down? Can you ever run out of delight in the Lord? Where you and I get discontent is where we take our eyes off Jesus. And like Peter, we're walking in the waves. Things are going well until we look at our circumstances and we begin to sink. So what Paul says is you've got to learn this mystery. I've learned the secret on how to be content. Let's let's go to best kept secret number four. And this is something that we hear this verse all the time. And I've got to be honest with you. Philippians 4.13, before I really did a lot of research, it was more of a mantra to me. I can do all things through Christ. You know, Let's say if you're studying for a test and you didn't study, Elaine and I were talking about this, God, throwing in a miracle, I can do all things through Christ. Let's say if you're in a business and you're, you're trying to make a lot of money, I can do all things through Christ. Have you not heard this mantra everywhere? You have um, a college football team out there, and one of the quarterbacks, he's got Phil 4.13 on his eyes. And he, he, here's where the dilemma comes in. Uh, you know, to kind of give you an idea of how seeing it only as a self help mantra doesn't really work is the quarterback has Phil 413 in black over his eyes, and you guys have seen that. And he's like, I can, I can throw this touchdown through Christ. The problem is, on the other side of the team is a linebacker who has a Philippians 413 bracelet. And he's saying to himself, I can tackle this quarterback and keep him from a touchdown. I can do all things through Christ. So is God in a dilemma? What is he going to do? Is he going to help the quarterback with the 413? Or is he going to help the linebacker tackle the quarterback? Is he in a dilemma here? Or does this verse mean something a little bit more? What do you guys think? I think it means a little bit more than I can do all, I meaning whatever I want to do. And in the context context is king right so in the context here paul's in prison he's saying i know how to abound i know how to be a base we've seen that he's been beaten um five times of 39 lashes he's been stoned to death but he survived he's been beaten with rods he's been shipwrecked three times and yet he says i can do all things through christ what is paul talking about he's saying everything that god wants me to do he gives me the power to do and circumstances won't stop me, people won't stop me. Until I reach my destiny, nothing can stop me because I can do all things through Christ. He's not saying, I can make a million dollars, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. What if God doesn't want you to do that? What the, Philippians 4.13, the beauty of it is, is everything God asks you to do, you can do. It's not everything you want to do. Because otherwise, the Bible is true. And if you've tried something and Philippians 4.13 didn't work, Does it mean the Bible's not true? Absolutely not. It just means your interpretation needs a little work. So after I read this, I was really encouraged that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means this. In your weakest moment, when you have no strength, Christ is your strength. In life, when it seems like you should have no satisfaction, Jesus is your satisfaction. In life, when that health goes and you feel like, man, I'm not like I used to be. You can say, even though I'm not healthy, Christ is my sufficiency. Even though I'm struggling, Christ is my strength. I can do all things through Christ. So if he's asking you to do something, we can no longer say, I can't do it. Because everything that he asks you to do, he gives you the strength and the grace to do. I can do all things through Christ. So to me, that makes it much better than a little self-help mantra. It's everything God wants you to do, he empowers you with the strength to do it. To me, that's much deeper than a high school football game, and I, I can throw this touchdown. That's great if, if it happens, but it's so much deeper than that. I, I was reading a story about this farmer, and um, the story stuck out to me for many reasons. One is uh, we're hoping to have some puppies by Christmas with their dogs, but he had this uh, litter of puppies, four dogs to be, five dogs to be exact, and he was nailing on his fence post outside, dogs for sale, puppies for sale, So this little boy, while he was nailing it, he felt a little tug in his trousers. And he looked behind him, and it's this little boy. And he said, how much are your puppies for sale? I want to buy one. And the farmer said, well, son, these dogs are expensive. They come from a fine line of fine blood specimen. I mean, these are very expensive dogs. And he said, well, I have 37 cents. Will that at least give me a look? And the farmer's like, all right, son. So he called out, Bessie, come here. And the dogs start coming, four fur balls fur balls, follow the mom. And he sees a fifth dog come out that's struggling to walk. And the little boy, for some reason, ignores the four really vivacious dogs, energetic. And he sees the one dog that's struggling. And the little boy says, I want that dog. And the farmer knelt down and said, son. Listen, that dog, uh, that's the run of the litter. And as you can see, it's barely walking. You don't really want that dog. And out of nowhere, the boy pulled up his pants leg and the farmer noticed that he had a metal brace going all the way up his leg on both sides, fit to a customized special shoe for walking. And he said, sir, the dog needs to understand that I'm to struggle. He needs someone that can understand what he's going through. I want that dog. And the boy said, how much is that dog? And the farmer said, son, you can't buy love. The dog's yours. And he gave him the dog. When I think about contentment, that little boy paints a picture for me. That no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, obviously he was struggling himself, he found satisfaction. And when I think about Christ, he came to our existence, he came to our humanity, He took upon flesh. So that when we're struggling and we're going through hardship, you don't have to look any further than to Jesus because he was tempted in every way like you were, except he didn't mess up. He went through the same struggles that we go through, yet he was victorious. So your sufficiency, your satisfaction in life comes not from circumstances, comes not from stuff. Your true satisfaction comes from being sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. It's not self-sufficiency, but I am sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. So I want everyone to say that with me. I am sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. So if you want to know the secrets of contentment, it's a learning. These four simple steps I gave you, but basically it boils down to this. If I look outside of Christ, I'm discontent. But if I realize that everything I need for life and for fullness, it's in Christ, I find contentment. I have a few verses to close with and then we're finished, if you'll throw on the screen. The author of Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So contentment is knowing that God's with me. He's never going to leave me. First Timothy 6, 6-8. through eight. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, let me break that down. How many people have you met that are godly but don't have contentment? If you have godliness without contentment, you have this cold legalism. Like they, they love God, but they just don't know how to love life. And if you have contentment without godliness, you have this worldliness that people are trying to get the next the next. And it doesn't really work. But when you have godliness with contentment, you have great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And look at the needs list of what we really need. Having food and clothing. With these, we shall be content. So let's look around. Everyone's got clothes on. Last time I checked. So really, if we have these two things, food and clothing, and we've learned that contentment is being satisfied in Christ's sufficiency, we, too, can be content, but we have to learn by experience, evaluated experience. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that life satisfaction comes from being sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. And, God, I just want to pray for each of us because, God, I, I have had to confess as I, I've done this message, even with the funny illustration of my phone, that, God, I'm often not content. And I realize that, and I confess that to you and before the church. And if we're honest, we have to say the same thing, that we are discontent because we're not fully satisfied in Christ. So God, my prayer is simple, that for those of us who are Christians, nothing wrong with having stuff, nothing wrong with having a nice house or a nice car, but we can't find our identity in stuff or in circumstances or in things. We must find our identity in Christ's sufficiency. So God, help us to delight in you and know that you'll give us the desires of your heart. God, it's not having what we want. It's wanting what we have already have, what you've already provided. So Lord, forgive us and help us. And if there be one here today that would say, Timothy, this all sounds great and encouraging, but I don't have Christ. Well, I've got good news for you. The gospel is you can receive Christ right where you're at. If you believe that Jesus died for you, that he rose again, he paid for your sin. If you'll just say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died, that you were buried, and you rose again. And I want to give my life to you. I want to die to myself. And I want to, I want to have new life in Christ. So say, Jesus, come into my life and forgive me. And friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, help us to be completely satisfied in Christ's sufficiency. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen you'll put on the screen, we have a take-home truth and preview for next Sunday. So, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about riches that last forever. I thought about entitled it How to Be Rich, but I was like, that may get too much controversy. But we're going to talk about true riches. Wednesday night, if you're able to make it, we're going to talk about Noah Part 2, the rest of the story. Many of you know the story about Noah and the ark. He built the boat. But you know what happened when he got off the ark. We're going to talk about that the rest of the story. So, this time, if you'll stand, I want to be at the front. And if you have anything that you would like to pray about, uh, we want to welcome you. And we're going to welcome our new members if you'll come forward uh, as well. So, we'll linger just a moment.